0: Buddy, and welcome to the Forever Winging Podcast, the podcast all about life and careers in the U.S. Air Force. This is episode number four. I'm Josh, the host of the show, and today I'm interviewing an Air Force veteran on the UAV sensor operator career field, which is the one uniform zero X1 AFSC. I just got back from a Chick Fil A's first 100 event, and if you've never been to one, you really should Google it and see if there's one in your area. But I went with my five-year-old son. And man, oh man, it was a huge memory maker. So the whole premise of the Chick-fil-A's first 100 event is is basically where you, sh- you show up 24 hours before their grand opening, and you set up your tent and camp out in their parking lot for basically 24 hours. And it's a lot of fun and games, and, and they give you a lot of free food and stuff like that. But uh, if you actually survive the 24-hour period, then you're uh, rewarded with Chick-fil-A for a year. Uh, a little red card that you can swipe and get 52 number one meals. So that's a lot of food and it's a blast, man. So again, if you ever have a chance, definitely check it out. See if you have one in your area, but there's a big, but here it was, it rained so hard on us in the middle of the night at about two o'clock in the morning, a a front had moved through and wind just was absolutely ripping. And I seriously thought, the tent was going to tear apart. So it was it was a little bit of drama. And then it started pouring down rain. And, and apparently I got a really cheap tent because it didn't want to hold any of the water out. And so our inside of our tent was just absolutely drenched. I had to roll up our sleeping bags and mats and and bust out our chairs to keep us off the ground. And and I took some plastic and draped it over my son. But man, he was a trooper. He was still smiling at two o'clock in the morning. And, and we just had an absolute blast. So... I'll, in fact, I'm going to put, po- I'll post some, uh, some pictures of the event on the uh, show notes. And the show notes for this show, it can be found at, uh, foreverwingman.com slash 004. And, uh, so any of the links that I mention, uh, in this show or, uh, some of the other information that might be useful, uh, they'll be posted there. So check it out at foreverwingman.com slash 004. A quick disclaimer about this interview. Uh, due to safety and operational security, um, this air force member, this air force veteran, we both agreed that, that we should change his name, um, due to some of the, uh, missions that he had been on and, um, and didn't want to, to put him any kind of risk. So if I hesitate when I'm calling him by his name, which is going to be Michael Smith, then this is why. And believe it or not, it's actually very difficult to change a name of someone that you know and call him a totally different name. So if there's a hesitation, forgive me on that. So here's the interview with Michael Smith on the sensor operator career field. And I'll be back after the show to fill in any of the gaps. Hey, everyone. I am super thrilled to introduce to you a good friend of mine, Michael Smith. Michael Smith, thanks for coming on the show, brother. How you doing?
1: Good, good. Thanks you for uh, having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, brother. So you're here to talk about the uh, unmanned aerial vehicle the uav sensor operator which is the one uniform zero x1 afsc but before we jump into it um i was just hoping we could take a couple seconds and just get to know you what do you think
1: uh sounds good let's do it
0: so maybe we can just start with where you're from um, and what may what influences uh were in your life to help to make you kind of decide with the air force was was which the path that you wanted to go to
1: okay originally from southern california Uh, joined up almost 20 years ago, well, 2000, early 2000, and really, I had just graduated high school the year before, and was just kind of floating along doing my little minimum wage job, and hanging out with uh, one of my friends who was signing up, and a recruiter pretty much just looked at me and said, you want to sign up too? I said, eh, sure.
0: Sure, why not, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) You were
0: sold that easy, huh?
1: I had nothing else going on that day, so <laughs> handing me the paperwork, easiest sell he's ever made.
0: That's awesome, dude. So where in uh, Southern California are you from?
1: Uh, San Diego.
0: Oh, you're way, way Southern California, right? Exactly. Or you should have just said Mexico.
1: Yeah. You, <laughs> See yeah. the border from my house.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so what happens if if the Navy would have said, hey, you want to join? Would you have joined?
1: Uh, No. The Marines tried to, though. The Navy... Uh, Navy wasn't really as present in recruiting up there as you would think. I mean, their presence up there with the recruiters was probably the least of all the branches of the military.
0: Probably because they have such a huge presence down there in San Diego anyways, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, you
0: probably already know about the Navy if you're in San Diego.
1: I lived there my entire life. Yeah. You know, everybody knows the Navy. The most, uh, I want to say hardcore, but the most trying to get you to join— the pushiest were the Marines, and they were everywhere. I mean, I talked to them a number of times, but ended up settling with the Air Force. That's cool. And so one I read my decision.
0: So did you did you have any family or anything like that that were, were a military?
1: Uh, I had some who were Navy, actually, thought I should go Navy. Okay. And I remember hearing, uh, well, if you're going to go Air Force, you should go Navy because the Navy has its own Air Force. <laughs> yeah, said, they
0: do, well, too, don't they? Pretty large is uh, actually it's, pretty uh, competitive with with the Air Force, right?
1: Uh, I believe so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what uh, what bases were you stationed at? What uh, um, I think it was because we know each other, you were in a in a different career field before that, right?
1: Yes. Started off as a one Charlie three, working with a guy you might know named Josh Snow. <laughs> Started off in uh, Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, two thousand to two thousand two.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. That was that was an amazing time for me, man. That was I you loved it. We just young, and you know, I just come from even then. Yeah, carefree. Everything was was easy then, right? For the most exactly. part. Exactly. Yeah. So you so you start from the command post, and then you um, you uh, left Kadena, right? And then you retrained into what is now well, the one uniform zero X one, right?
1: Actually, PCS to Dias spent a, about eighteen months there. Nine months of that, I was deployed, so I was pretty much just TDY instead of being PCS there. Yeah. So I left all my stuff in boxes. I got there. I was gone a month later to uh, the MAGCOM Tech School for AMC when Charlie 3s came yeah. back, had TDY come up. They told me it would be 42 days, and that was late 2002. I said, sure, I'll go out to the desert for 42 days. Winter time, it shouldn't be too hot. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Not even two or three days before I'm supposed to leave, it's, okay, your TDY to the desert is canceled, but now you're going to Europe. So you're going to be going to Spain. Oh, wow. I said, okay, 42 days in Spain is a lot better than 42 days in the middle of the desert. So, well, while I was there oif kicked off so my 42 day tdy ended up being nine months
0: yep you know what that it just
1: that that happens it
0: happened to me man because i was over in uh supporting uh oef and we go. were two weeks out from from our relief being that we already had the names of our relief yep. and everything two weeks out and then uh, OIF kicked off. We invaded Iraq <laughs> and they put a stop movement on the theater. So our th- our three-month tour turned into a seven-month tour. And the entire the rest of the remaining tour, we had no idea when we were going to leave. So it could have been the next week or it could have been you know six months from the time. It was totally a guessing game. So yeah, I feel you on that one, brother.
1: The only good thing about that was, well, aside from extended vacation in Europe, was I got my short tour out of the way with that. So yes. there was that. Yeah. I also got PCS orders while I was there because I'd been away for so long. I'd already completed my "quote unquote" twelve months time in, on station CONUS, yeah. the minimum for PCS orders, and so I'm not even, you know, three months away from leaving and I already have PCS orders.
2: Man, that,
0: that too much PRP has been base. A, that and PRP stands for uh, the Personal Reliability Program. Um yes. for, the, for people who, who don't know that, which is basically, you know, it's a uh, dealing with uh, high sensitive weapons and exactly so fast forward you got back from your uh your uh tdy and you had pcs orders did you what happened then did you did you take off to your next base or did you what happened
1: it was a roller coaster i believe and it. when i say a roller coaster i came back and you guys might know i have some foreign language experience and skills so i called the testing center on um, base to see if i could take the test and get some money for it and they said you can come in any day except for tomorrow and me being me, I said, Well, why can't I come in tomorrow? And they said, We have you scheduled testing for staff tomorrow. <laughs> Nobody had told me I was testing for staff the next day after being home for two or three days.
0: So you had you hadn't studied at all. All you all you had it was just your, your massive amount of experience, right?
1: I, I had my CDCs that were still in the wrappers because they were not issued to me. <laughs> <laughs> I had my PFE that I actually read the PFE, so I will say that. It gets a little better. So I show up to test, and the gates are closed. The SPS have the gates closed. So I'm freaking out because, you know, you can't be late when you're testing. Otherwise, they won't let you in. They'll say, you yep. can't test, you failed, you got to wait till next time. Ended up getting through, got to the testing center. I was 30 minutes late. I knew they were not going to let me in. I get up there, and there's a group of people standing there. It's like half the people supposed to test. Turns out the SPs closed all the gates down on base. I guess they had some kind of threat or suspicious package or exercise yeah. that they tried to pull at 6.30 in the morning on a Monday morning. They thought it'd be a good idea. The guy, the proctor, who was supposed to proctor in our exams, he was late, too. So He said, you know what? Don't worry about it. You guys are good. And you you just don't say anything, and I won't say anything about everybody being late. Nice. I'll call it awesome. Good. So it worked out just, well for you.
0: So did you end up making it?
1: I ended up making it. First time testing.
0: Wow. Without even studying, man. That yeah, that yeah. that probably probably speaks uh, volumes to your intelligence. Even exactly. though I know you, and I know it's not true. <laughs>
1: I, I, I know you're not, <laughs> I really I know did you're not make an intelligent first person. Time.
0: Yeah, I know you're as dumb yes. as rocks, man. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I am... Being a one Charlie three, I am good at taking a test. So <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you just giving us a little bit of a glimpse into who you are, man. Um, oh, so yeah. what do you say we jump into the one uniform zero X one AFSC, the UAV sensor operator? Let's um, do it. Cool. So tell us a little bit about it, man. What it, What does the average day look like for uh, for a sensor operator?
1: Average day is going to be between eight and twelve hours long. A typical eight-hour shift duty day or a 12-hour shift duty day, just like anywhere else in the Air Force. Uh, Basically, what happens is you'll come in maybe about 30 minutes early, give or take a few minutes, at least 15 minutes early because you have things to do before you brief. They're going to go look and make sure your currencies are all updated, make sure there's nothing you need. Now, what does that mean, Um, currencies? It's – Basically, there's certain things you have to do. Like, we had to track a moving target a couple of times a month or make oh, sure that's it. written so it's down. Um, you so had to run emergency procedures.
2: Got it. So you it's kind of your,
1: sure. your
0: reoccurring training checklist or Ex- things yes. to stay certified.
1: Continuing training, basically. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, make sure you're up to date on all your currencies. A uh, couple times you got to do, maybe once a month, you got to do your boldface, which are emergency procedures that have to be done from memory before you open up a checklist. Uh, Speaking of checklists, one of the things you do is make sure your checklist is up to date. Uh, Constantly the flight manual and your flight checklist are always being adjusted. There's always adjustments being made to them. That was actually one of the jobs I had when I first got out of the military was maintaining the flight checklist for the air force and the flight manual for that aircraft. And, Replace the old pages, make notes in your checklist of what's been changed, checklist procedures that have changed that you pencil in the changes.
2: Yes. Yeah, so make sure you're
1: up to date and everything.
0: So there's there's a lot of stuff that, yeah. you, that you're gonna be doing on a day-to-day basis, right?
1: Exactly. So, this is you just walked in. Yeah. I
0: mean. Oh my gosh, so your, man. That's crazy. Day
1: has just started. Wow.
0: So so what exactly does the environment look like? So I, I know I've seen videos online. So you're basically sitting in this little shed, right? uh, the uh are you of are you doing it
1: okay good uh there's the trailer gcs the one that you've probably seen it on tv it looks like the big rectangular box with the wheels on it that yeah. sits outside there's those and we have buildings uh just like a regular building with rooms in it the gcs equipment is actually built into the room so they consider that room to be a gcs
0: got it what does gcs stand for
1: ground control station got it okay
0: so it's basically
1: a a ground cockpit got it for lack of a better term
0: that's pretty cool man so so how how often do you do you actually uh quote-unquote fly
1: uh for us it's if you're scheduled to fly and your aircraft is working and there's no weather problems no maintenance problems or anything like that you're sitting in the seat
0: so you're pretty much flying almost every day then if, exactly. if, if, if everything aligns right, you know, training requirements exactly. and, and everything else.
1: Training, maintenance, weather, and operation.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool.
1: Uh, it's nonstop. The Air Force doesn't have nearly as many people doing this job as they would like. And when I say that, I also mean they don't have nearly as many aircraft to do this job as they would like.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt
0: that, that it seems like that UAVs are... Um, definitely going to be a huge part in the air force's future it's only going to get larger
1: exactly one of the things they told us i was going through the 11th uh, rs at creech for training uh that was one of the training squadrons out there i don't even know if they're doing training plus i heard they went operational but one of the first things they told us was you all are flying the wright brothers plane of uavs
0: wow that, and so you're you're history makers Pretty much. That is, that is pretty cool, man, to be on, on the ground floor, to be one of the, you know, the plank owners of, you know, the Air Force's UAV program. Exactly. That's right. Because our kids, they're, this is going to be, you know, an everyday thing for them being exposed to UAVs in general.
1: There's not another job in the Air Force that I can think of off the top of my head that this quickly has spawned three new AFSCs, you know, the 18X, which is the uh, officer unrated slash rated UAV only pilot, plus the one uniform zeros sensor operators, and now the one uniform uh, what is it? One uniform one?
0: Yeah, one uniform one. the UAV pilot, enlisted pilot.
1: Yeah, okay. I mean, three new AFSCs out of the bottom floor of a program that quickly. I've yeah. never seen anything like that.
0: That's crazy, man. So what? So you you typically work between uh you said eight and twelve hours, right?
1: Uh, depending on who your who your squadron is, uh, I know a lot of the active duty units, especially at Creech, most of them are on twelves.
2: Okay,
0: got it. And, and that's just
1: from talking to them and flying with them.
0: And is that is that, um, uh is, is there a lot of shift work with that? Because I imagine uh, it yes. just comes down to whatever the mission requires of you, right?
1: It's it's twenty four hours a day. You got uh, day swings and mids, just like any other twenty uh, four hour shop.
0: Got it. Wow, man, that's uh. That's crazy. It seems like it's a uh, high stress. Would you say it's a high stress job?
1: It can be. Yes. Um, a lot of people go into this job thinking it's just going to be a video game. You know, I had the the predator thing in call of duty so I can go do this. Yeah. They get a reality check pretty quickly when it comes time to actually engage something, engage a target Wow. or you see something that's, you know, most people would not want to look at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you probably got a Sit there and stare at it, right? Because you're, you're operating the, the, uh, the sensor, right?
1: Not only do you have to stare at it, you have to identify what you're looking at. You know, you might have just seen a, a vehicle get hit by an IED. A yeah. bunch of people are hurt. Well, you got to keep an eye on them, but you also have to keep an eye out for people who might come and try and attack them. It might be a precursor to an attack. So you got to keep it together long enough to witness something like that happen then be in the game enough to go out there and look for any more threats
2: to them.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know what? I never even really thought about that aspect of it uh, because I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm a bit naive at it too. I seriously thought that it was just going to be, you know, being this secret squirrel, uh, aircraft looking at, you know, cool things in a, in a war zone, but I still get the comfort of my own home to, you know, to go back home to at that night. Right. But that's kind of Uh, a bit
2: naive.
1: That's, the number one misconception I would say is people think, oh, it's just like Call of Duty, you know, it's gonna look like something blown up on a video screen. Well, when it's a bad guy, yeah, it doesn't really bother you. But yeah. you see your friendly forces get hurt and you gotta keep your head in the game yeah. to make sure they're all right, that's where a lot of people I would say break down.
0: Wow, man. So what do you what do you say to those people who um who might be a little bit questionable, you know, kind of wonder if, if they can pull it together in those moments. What, what do you do to kind of rally the troops type thing? Or do you just basically well, say, Hey, you can't make it. You need to find a different career field.
1: I'd say, give it a shot first. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you can and can't do unless you try and do it. Yeah. And just the military is fortunately for them has gotten away from the stigma that was around when you and I were younger, where, uh, we have mental health available to us now. If you need to go talk to mental health yeah. back in the day, I need to tell you that was a clearance killer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It was a huge thing. And
1: now, because we've been at war for so long and the military's finally come around to the idea that, hey, you know what? We have a mental health AFSC. Maybe we should allow people to use it Yeah. without killing their clearance. Yeah. I mean, the Army was the one that actually spearheaded that as far as I know, because people are coming home with PTSD yep. and the stigma. It was extremely difficult for them to break, but they finally came around to, you know, this is not going to kill your clearance. We'd rather have you here mentally, physically in good shape than running around with uh, all these demons in your head.
0: Yep, absolutely, man. Wow, that's so, crazy, dude. I, I just want to pause right here and, and thank you, brother. You know what I mean? Because you're yeah. kind of you're – you're at the – the tip of the spear, you know what I mean? And, exactly. and there's not many career fields in the air force that you can say you're at the tip of the spear. And, it's... and the UAV community is definitely at the tip of the spear for sure. So that's pretty cool, man. Wow. Yep. Um, so what is, what is the, uh, um, we talked a little bit about the, the tech school. I know you said that you were, you were kind of in the, cre- the community before is actually one uniform zero X one. But do you know anything about how the tech school is right now and how, what, what it looks like?
1: I have a fairly decent idea. I had to do a lot of research on this just to uh, make sure I wasn't getting bad information. Yeah. I know for me, I was actually a one-in-one. So when I retrained, I went to Goodfellow yeah. for the one-in-one one training, and the sensor operator/slash UAV training was a follow-on. So I had to be a certified one-in-one one before I got the UAV training. And in fact, my CDCs were one-on-one CDCs that really had nothing to do with being a sensor operator.
0: Got it. So I'd imagine but, they're probably still going through Goodfellow, though, right? For uh, some kind of Intel training of sorts?
1: I don't know if they are. Okay. As far as I can tell, they're, they're still in Texas. They're at Randolph. Okay. Uh, well, they start off at Lackland. They do the aircrew fundamentals, which is a prerequisite for, it used to be only one alpha AFSCs. And that was just a, it was like a pre-tech school before, or for one alphas.
0: Yeah, just kind of get them prepped, uh, get their mindsets exactly. ready for, for. It was a prep school, basically.
1: Yeah. It's uh, two weeks. Um, I believe it's two weeks. After that, looks like they go to Randolph for uh, about three or four weeks. I'm not exactly sure what happens there. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I said, I never went through it then eventually they end up at Creech for their uh mission training. Got Basically so that's you probably get their, your their
0: core training, right?
1: Exactly. Instead of what I went through as a one and one, I think that's what the new railmen are going through now before they get to Creech.
0: Got it. And Creech is, is north of Las Vegas, right? Of Nellis?
1: Uh yes. It's you can see it. It's up the uh, highway ninety five. Okay. You can find it on Google Maps, check it out. Uh that score a good majority of the uh, UAVs are flown.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: So, so most likely be one of your duty assignments if you got this AFSC. Got it. Okay.
0: So in, in your opinion, we all, we all know that every career field has them, right? They, they have pros and cons. So, yes. so what would, in your opinion, what, what would be some of the pros and what would be some of the cons of the sensor operator career field?
1: Some of the pros, the, um, uh, job is a lot of fun. I mean, it's one of the coolest jobs I've ever had. Uh, it's exciting. It's like you said, tip of the spear. It's well, it's fun. I mean, you actually make a difference. You know, you're making a difference and you, most people I would say enjoy doing it. The cons I would say, although they're working on it, the Bases for this AFSC are extremely limited. I mean, they're opening up new ones all the time and that's both active duty and guard and reserve because they, like I said before, they don't have the manning for this that they want. So they're trying to open up more bases for this job so they can put more people into it.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of one of the, one of the, um, the causalities of being on the ground floor of it, right? We know that we know that they're going to be expanding. It's just a matter of time,
1: time, money, and, uh, getting everything approved. Yeah. Another con would be, uh, goes back to Manning, 12 hour shifts. I've heard from people at Creech, they're working six on one or two off 12 hour days. Wow. So that's a lot of hours, man. And if you look at where Creech is, say you live in Vegas, you drive all the way up there, work a 12 hour shift and you have to drive all the way back and do that six days in a row. It's going to, it's going to wear on you. Not to mention the stress of the job.
0: Yeah. So, so do you get, you get overtime pay for that, right?
1: Uh, no, you'd have to talk to your union rep for that.
0: (laughs) So no overtime pay. Got it. So you just suck it up and and do it. Um,
1: I do believe Creech was at one time, uh, there was some kind of remote duty pay, but I really don't know if that's still the case or not.
0: So what does the, um, the deployment typo look like? So we, t- we talked about it, we, that you're at home station operating these UAVs, but do you actually deploy?
1: Uh, yes, but in order to deploy, you have to be LRE qualified, LRE being launch recovery element. There's two elements to this UAV, uh, the UAV world, LRE, launch recovery element, then MCE, mission control element. The one thing that everybody loves, especially the bean counters about UAVs is... You send 10 people down range, you keep 100 people at home, you don't have to pay those 100 people to go downrange. The LRE element or LR element will launch and recover the plane. So they'll take off, hand the aircraft over to the people in the states, and the people in the states will operate them for a while till they run out of gas, give them back to the LRE, the LRE will land them.
0: Oh, got it. So, so, so they just they just land them and and take them off, and then they hand them over to to stateside to operate.
1: Exactly. So, if you're not LRE qualified, you're not even going to deploy because they have no use for you.
0: Got it. Okay. So, the deployment tempo isn't very high initially, but if you get uh, LRE certified, then then you you might be looking towards you'll going be packing to, your bags. Yeah, a little you'll bit be more. you'll be going to the you'll be going behind the lines or behind the wire. Exactly. Right? So, um, so what about, um, uh, jobs on the outside? Um, there's the UAV program is, is definitely the future of the air force, but, but we also know that it's the future of, of the I mean, even border security and everybody is, is tapping Mm -hmm. into this UAV concept. So, so what does it look like on the outside?
1: Uh, from my standpoint, it looks good because I'm still getting paid. Nice. So, uh, I've been contracting for little over five years now, and I've never had a problem finding a job. I mean, I spent a couple of years in Afghanistan with the program until that one shut down and we pulled out of Afghanistan. But I'm on a program now. It's still going strong and no complaints.
0: That's awesome, man. So, um, yeah. so are you, it's probably a pretty small community, right? So, so you guys are pretty yes. well networked together.
1: Most of the people I work with now are people I was working with in Afghanistan before in another program with a completely different company. Got it. So so it is it is a small world.
0: So with with that is would you say that this that the camaraderie is pretty high amongst your community?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're stuck in a small little fob with these guys for years on end, day in, day out. You get to know everybody. I mean, especially when our fob, I mean, we we're off on our own little area anyway. So nobody ever came down there. It was just us down there. So we got to know each other really well. Yeah. And now we all work together again here. In my new job. So
0: that's awesome, man. Okay, dude. So that pretty much covers all the questions that I have, but are there, is there anything that you think that I may be missing about the AFC that you might think would be useful for someone who's thinking about doing this?
1: Uh, let's see here. I'd probably, I tell them to research it, you know, yeah, go in with an open mind. I'd say, like I said before, don't think it's going to be a video game. It's yeah. not a video game it's life and death and should be treated as such. But at the same time, you have to keep a positive attitude just like anything else in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and attitude is everything, right? It's exactly it's, it's how you go into it. You know, if you think it's going to be crappy, then it's going to be crappy. If you think it's going to be amazing, then, then it's going to be amazing, man. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that was a lot of good information, dude. And it makes me seriously want to go join the Air Force and be a sensor operator, to be completely honest. Man. <laughs> but uh, so we're just coming to that part of the show, man, where I ask our guests just to take a couple minutes and, and pass their words of wisdom. Just imagine that like your niece or your nephew just came up to you and said, um, Uncle Michael, what, I'm thinking about joining the Air Force. What, what, what advice would you give me?
1: Well, I actually had this question posed to me not too long ago. A friend of mine, her son was uh, joining the Air Force, and I was talking to her. And what I told her, it's, a lot of other people and other AFSCs won't like it, but I said, do not get anything that does not start with a 1, any AFSC that does not start with a 1. And that I mean, means, I've that had means three, operations, right? Yes, I've had three AFSCs, and all three of them started with a 1, and I have <laughs> no complaints. <laughs>
0: So, so but, that's, that's your words of advice is get get something with a, with a one and preferably a one alpha or a one uniform,
1: one alpha, one uh, uniform, one November and do your homework. I mean, find something that you would enjoy doing. Yeah. And on top of that, I'd also look for something that would be marketable on the outside. Yeah. So you go in and find something you like, do it for the military whether you stand for four years, six years, or 20 years, get something you enjoy doing. Nothing's worse than doing a job you hate and being forced to do it. You know, you don't want to be stuck doing something you don't like. But at the same time, look for something that, uh, you know, I can do this when I got out. I enjoy doing this. I'd like to do this when I got out or when I get out, I should say.
0: Yeah. So, the, so, so young people just coming in, they have to definitely challenge themselves to be more forward thinking about about what their life goals are right and exactly that they want to do in their interests right and we're we can be steered by recruiters we can be steered by family members we can be steered by you know websites or whatever the case may be whoever the influences are Mm -hmm. um but it's trying to take all that aside just you know filter all the information and make a goal make a decision based off of your goal and
1: exactly you're the the one that's living your
0: life absolutely absolutely that's great dude michael that was phenomenal brother thank you so much for coming on the show brother thank you for having me so that's the interview on the sensor operator afsc Uh, they are part of a really small community that can truly call themselves uh, the tip of the spear and if you think that you might actually like this AFSC or there might be an option for you, here's some uh, little bit of general information for you. You'll need at least a 64 general or a 54 electrical score on the ASVAB. And right now, there are roughly about 1,065 people within the AFSC, so it's a pretty small AFSC. Um, but I have no doubt that this career field is going to be growing in the near future, given the Air Force mission. There's about 942 males, which comes out to about 88.45% and 123 females about 11.55 percent tech school you'll be spending about four weeks for the air crew fundamentals course at lackland air force base in texas 21 days at the uas or the unmanned aerial system basic course which is the tech school at randolph air force base in texas and then you'll be spending roughly about 21 days at the uas fundamentals course where you'll be teamed up with a pilot going through a training as well and you'll go progress through that training as a team And then you'll move on to your airframe training, either at the Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico or Creech Air Force Base in Nevada, and that time varies depending on time slots and and everything else. Lastly, you're going to be earning credits towards a CCF degree in air and space operations technology, and that pretty much covers it. Hey, don't forget, you can find even more information on Air Force career fields on the Forever Women website at foreverwomen.com slash AFSC. And each crew field has a dedicated page with job descriptions and NASVAB requirements, YouTube videos, news articles, and more. I always try and keep that updated. Again, that's foreverwingman.com slash AFSC. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Take care, have a great week, and I'll catch you on the next
1: episode.